0: How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holtzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holtzman.
1: Hello, this is Sam Holzman. You're listening to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman, And today we have a special guest and uh, we'll introduce uh, Ken in just a moment. His name is Ken Nagus. And the topic uh, for this particular show is quite a bit different than the shows that we've done before. Uh, This is on the other side of the brain. It's on soft skills and the soft skills that people need. Uh, in uh, organizations and enterprise, and even sometimes when you're actually talking to human beings, uh, either across the table at dinner or, or elsewhere. Yes, there is this concept of communication with human beings by not using your thumbs, if anybody remembers any of that. Uh, so we'll be chatting about the concepts of soft skills um, and what that is all about. And uh, as we get started, I want to introduce Ken and have him just tell you a little bit about himself. So Ken. Thank you, Sam, it's a pleasure to be here. So who am I? I'll
2: give you the short version. Uh, I grew up in Massapequa Park, New York with my parents and my older brother. Uh, I'm pretty sure that they liked me best. (laughs) And um, in terms of education, I moved to Ann Arbor to get my degrees from the University of Michigan. I have a bachelor's in math and philosophy and a master's in mathematics from Michigan. Shortly after that, um, I was hired by General Motors in Detroit in their corporate office to run statistical analysis programs. And they actually trained me to be a programmer there. I don't know if Sam, you remember some of these antiquated languages like COBOL, FORTRAN, PL1. You mean the ones that are coming back again. <laughs> <laughs> they taught me how to write those uh, those languages. And as I evolved, I became a systems analyst and implemented systems. Um, at some point, I was actually the first formal IT information technology planner in in General Motors when I was at one of the General Motors divisions. So that was a big change for me. And later actually my career evolved out of that because I was then called upon by a company called EDS. I don't know if you remember them, Electronic Data Systems, uh, founded by a fellow named Ross Perot. One day I woke up uh, in AC Spark in General Motors and found out I no longer work for GM anymore. They said, you now work for EDS. Apparently GM had bought EDS to outsource all of the IT to this, this new subsidiary. And so overnight I was now an account executive with General Motors as a customer. Now that's a culture change because you don't think of these people as your customers initially. With that experience then, I worked for EDS for a while. I was transferred to a position in Dallas in their corporate strategy department uh, to help run a corporate transformation program. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. From there, my uh, career went back to General Motors and corporate strategy again. Uh, I ended my career with a company called Walt Disney. You may have heard of them down here in the Florida area, Sam. Uh, You and and Mickey Mouse got together. Right, (laughs) Mickey Mouse. (laughs) A new position was formed for me, the Director of Information Technology Governance. What is that? Governance is about decision-making, but ultimately about getting companies and organizations to align together on common goals and action, and your suppliers as well. I ended my corporate America career with uh, Disney, I actually did some work for
1: a group called the Disney Institute, which helps his clients improve their customer experience. And they can that you they do internal training and and they also do external training for organizations. Yes, they do. They have companies that come in to say, Disney, how do you create these great
2: experiences I found in the parks and resorts? So we help them understand how that worked at Disney and how they can apply it to their companies. At this point in my life, I'm mostly retired. (laughs) I teach a class in soft skills with you, Sam, a few times a year when requested. And other than that, I go to Disney a lot with my wife. Um, I'm a terrible golfer. I keep trying, but to no avail it would seem. I do some volunteer work in the arts. So it's been an interesting career. I started as a math nerd, became a techie, and ended up in the soft skills. I would have never imagined that. Sam, when you got out of college, did you know what
1: you wanted to do when you grew up? Did you know you'd be doing a podcast on the information age? Well, I, uh, the answer is no. And uh, my career, of course, started in a, a, a strange topic called biomedical engineering, really? uh, which was trying to uh, figure out how to, uh, being, growing up in the Detroit area, Uh, To how to uh, essentially mitigate or reduce injuries of people in car accidents and I know this sounds kind of funny, but um, if you don't believe corporate America is interested in anything they're probably interested in profits and so for no other reason the car companies didn't want people to die in the cars. Because if they die, they don't, They can't buy another car. I know that sounds horrible, but basically, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons for that. So yeah, I started off the same way uh, in the technical side. So of course, the audience is probably curious, how did you get into this soft stuff? <laughs> I'm, I'm not really sure. I think there are there a couple events that probably led to that.
2: The, the first one was probably my first job. So here I am, a 22-year-old shy math nerd being put in the halls of the esteemed general Motors, and with, uh, to me, very scary executives, uh, you know, big men in big suits, and they were all men at the time, coming to me to ask me to run these multilinear regression analyses for their lawsuits, and I didn't know how to talk to them. Can't I just go in my corner and run the programs? So, but I was sort well, why don't you text them? Why don't you just text them? <laughs> That's right. Well, my thumbs would get sore, I That's guess. Right. So, I was smart enough at least to realize that I'd better learn how to talk to human beings. Uh, there, weren't, there wasn't a lot of training at the time, but I, what I did is I observed other people who I thought did it very well, other people giving presentations. And I found a mentor, actually, who, who I could ask questions with to help me along the way. So, that was probably number one. Number two that got me into soft skills was when I became a systems implementer. And I was, I was delivering systems. Particularly when I was out in the GM plants, because I I went from corporate office to a a division, AC Spark Plug division at the time, and I was delivering systems to people who worked in the plants. And it became quite clear that if they hadn't bought into it or they didn't understand it, weren't trained, the system might not work that well. And, of course, in IT, we were a bit arrogant at the time. We'd, We'd go, oh, those users, they don't get it. Now, that, that term is kind of interesting. What do you
1: think about the term user, Sam? Well, Ken, that is, to me, one of the most insulting phrases that we can use when we describe people that pay the bills. And unfortunately, that term also has some other meanings. And it turns out that there's only two professions that I know of that use the use, use the word user to describe the people that pay the bills. One of those is the illicit drug trade, <laughs> and the other is IT. Now, stay with me here for just a moment. The parallels are amazing. We get these people hooked, and we charge them more and more for less product. And the real phrase should be customer. Even if the organization is internal, in other words, the technology or the support group is internal, you've got to treat people as customers, as you said, You know, especially at Disney. And that involves soft skills, and that's why I'm thrilled that you're here with us today. (laughs) Great analogies, yeah. Um,
2: I think the third moment in my career that got me into soft skills, maybe the biggest one, was when I was asked to join a small team, there were three of us, and a manager, uh, to perform, help facilitate a transformation, big organizational transformation of electronic data systems. Uh, EDS, just a bit of background on that, EDS was started by Ross Perot, came out of IBM, And what they did first was they they ran computers. They sold cycles to companies that didn't want to buy computers. But Perot was a smart guy. He realized that he had to keep building functionality. So they created a series of economic engines. Their next one was to say, if we can run computers for you, we could do transaction processing. So we could run your payrolls. So they started doing that and became very, very successful. The time I joined EDS, the, the current version of them they were pioneers in outsourcing. That's where the company would say, "Why don't you run all of my technology for me?" Now, Perot was replaced by a fellow named Les Alberthal, and Les was smart enough to realize that it was getting so competitive in that outsourcing space now that he wanted to stay ahead of the game. Now, most companies don't undergo big change until it's too late. Usually, when they're in the in the ditch, and it's, it's sometimes they can't get out of the ditch. But Alberthal said. Why don't we see if we can create new economic engines and new value before we're in the ditch? So, I was asked to join a small team, and we hired some big name consultants too, to um, help facilitate that process. And I want to give a shout out to someone here. You know how you look back in your education career and you think, well, who are the teachers that really influenced that? Absolutely. Me? Yeah. I think it's important to do that in business as well. Who are the couple of leaders who really made a difference? In my life. And a fellow named Greg Trosper was that person. I I don't know what's happened to Greg, but I learned more from him than most people. And, And one of the things I learned from Greg out of this big process was that business strategy wasn't just about writing business strategies. It was about changing thinking and behavior of people, because if you didn't change the thinking and
1: behavior, nothing happened. Sure, sounds a very like very academic exercise. Sure, sounds like the phrase "soft skills" once again is the, one of the keys here. It, it really is. You learn that you you now have to align yourself with the way HR,
2: human resources people think about changing, uh, thinking and behavior. You, you know, when I was in uh, doing strategic planning too, we used to write these big, elaborate strategic plans. We'd You'd like to look 10, 15, maybe 20 years ahead and, and then like, say, who do we want to be? You'd spend far more time writing down who you are today than thinking about <laughs> who you want to be. Then you'd write all these business goals and tactics and objectives and try to link them together. And you'd create these beautiful books. These books always had a, a fatal disease that we called spots. Have you ever heard of that term, spots? Spots, no. The strategic plans on top shelves. <laughs> so these books <laughs> would go up there and they wouldn't get used. And one of the reasons was, that the world changes so fast, so rapidly, you couldn't predict it. Just like we were saying in our careers, I couldn't have predicted when I started off that I'd end up doing governance. Uh, companies can't always predict what's going to happen along the way. And so it behooves a company to have a, a mind, corporate mindset, culture of how can I adapt to change? How can I be prepared for it? Or maybe even how can I be proactive? I think that's true of individuals too. You can be proactive in your career, or I wasn't terribly proactive. I was more opportunistic. Someone said, Ken, do you want to do this? I'd go do it. But you could still say, ah, I want to do the same thing I've been doing all the time. Uh, and some people do that. Uh, that's fine for them. It, it wasn't for me. So it behooves people to think about the culture you have in your own minds of, about changing. Because change happen all the time. I think that's one of the themes of
1: your series here, isn't it? Moving to the information age, all the constant change going on. Yeah. And so what you've just pointed out is, uh, as you mentioned, is something that we're really trying to push people to recognize that uh, as human beings, we just cannot understand 700 pages of text. We can't understand 70 pages of text. We probably can't even understand 17 pages of text. And in the age of transformations that is continuous, I know the buzzword now is digital transformation, but it's basically a continuous change we need a baseline for addressing and managing change that is human consumable, and uh, you know, as you said, that's the theme of this program, and and uh, this is part of that theme. And how to get these things across to mere mortals in a relatively short period of time, <laughs> you know, that's there. Yes, and and I want to point out too that what we
2: probably already realize is that change can be very scary, can't it? Absolutely, uh, change for an individual can be scary. Change for an organization. So there's this discipline that's evolved called change management. Now, it's a, it's a funny phrase. There are a number of people who will say that you can't manage change in a sense, right? It's, it's very evolutionary. But there are things you can do to create an environment that's conducive to change or, as I even said earlier, be proactive. And, and you can have some awareness of how to guide your, your people if you're a leader, along the journey of change to, to, to make it smoother and more palatable and easier and less scary but but change is always very difficult think about even implementing systems never mind a business transformation which is major but a system when you put in an ERP system right you're not only moving to a different system, but you're running the status quo at the same time. And there are a whole host of people who say, I don't want to change it. I want to run what I've been running. I'm comfortable in those old shoes.
1: They're always comfortable, <laughs> aren't they? So,
2: so Sam, um, let me ask you a question. If change is happening all the time and we have to change, what do you think are some of the obstacles to change? What, what prevents
1: us from, from doing what we realize intellectually that we need to do? Well, we we think there's uh, two classes of change. Uh, One is what we call the internal forces of change. In other words, the the ones that are essentially internal to us, uh, human resources, managerial behavior and decision-making. These are the things that affect us personally. And then, of course, if we look around the world right now, and if you read any newspaper or any blog or any TV show, external forces of change, you've got demographic characteristics, and you've got technical advancements, and market changes, and social and political pressures, and things like that, um, you know, that are all around us, and of course, as human beings, most of us, and I can, you know, sometimes put myself in that same category, uh, there's a resistance, there's just a natural resistance to change, you know, that's there, and it's just because, It's a human condition. And uh, that resistance to change uh, could be an emotional uh, change situation, uh, a behavioral response, you know, that's there to a real or imagined threat. The real ones are real. The imagined ones are the ones that are hard for you and I to think about. And that's, again, where the concepts of soft skills, I think, uh, uh, will come into play here. How do you address those imagined uh, uh, threats, because they're internal, you you don't have, we don't have a change meter on our head that essentially says, you know, we have, a, we have an issue there and it's all about established work routines. Most of us are uncomfortable when we get out of that established work routines. So the basic two categories are essentially external forces and internal forces to change. And, and I, I think one of the barriers is that it's scary
2: because you as an individual might have to change. You know, in, in a way the phrase organizational change is a bit impersonal. I, I'm I have more passion around personal change, what do you have to do as an individual, because companies are made of people. Think about this. I was um, in IT, information technology. I wasn't supposed to be supposed to be an expert. <laughs> Yet as the world evolved. At some point, my children became more knowledgeable about our home system than Amazing. I was. Amazing,
1: isn't that? <laughs> my son was the system administrator. I had no idea what to do. <laughs> uh, right now, with uh, I've, I've been blessed with four grandchildren, and if they look at a screen and it doesn't swipe, they think it's broken. So uh, <laughs> we all have those situations, uh, uh, you know, that are there. And so, uh, as I said, it's kind of fascinating when, when we uh, when we look at it. So. Uh, Uh, We're going to take a short two-minute break, and when we come back from our break, uh, Ken is going to talk about uh, three major concepts that uh, uh, we think will be takeaways for you. What is the concepts of change in the business and this movement to the information age? What are some approaches to change that you may use as you move forward? And then the concept of soft skills uh, to be an effective uh, change manager in the change environment. So this is Sam Holzman on the 2020s uh, Enterprise Broadcast. I'm here with Ken Nagus. We'll see you back here in about two minutes and we'll continue discussing change in the world of information systems. See you back here in a couple of minutes.
0: Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us! Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit pinnaclebusinessgroup.com. You are listening to The 2020's Enterprise with Sam Holtzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email. To Sam at E-A-C-O-E That's Sam at E-A-C-O-E Now, back to the 2020s Enterprise.
1: Welcome back. This is the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holtzman. And our special guest on this broadcast is Ken Nagus. And the topic for today's broadcast is the concepts of soft skills. And uh, one of the things that we wanted to mention is the, the concepts of resistance to change, especially as a human being. All of us have those fears. And basically, it involves just a few things. It's, it usually is fear of failure, uh, you know, that's there. In other words, you've been very successful as you move forward. And all of a sudden, this new thing, whatever it is, is, is approaching you and you're uncomfortable. And sometimes, and especially in the contemporary uh, worlds that we're in right now, there's a, there's a mistrust. Um, I don't think I have to mention this phrase more than once, the phrase fake news. We really don't know um, what is out there and um, you know, in the unknown world. And uh, the other thing we have to look at is the human condition of security, in other words, the comfort level. And none of us know, uh, essentially, how secure our jobs are anymore. Back in the olden days, most people stayed with an organization throughout their career. Now, frankly, on both sides of the equation, there's less of a commitment by the individual, the staff member, the employee, and same thing with the company that's there. I think you've hit on a a key issue
2: there, Sam, about the comfort factor and, and the fear. How often have companies merged and you realize that instead of two departments, there's going to be one, (laughs) the natural inclination is, am I losing my job? Or if change is occurring to create new products and new value, what's going to happen? If you've been great at making buggy whips, and now all of a sudden says you have to make car engines instead, do I have the skills to do that? Do I have the ability to do that? That's true of of all levels, including very senior management. You got your success by doing what you did very well. Now if someone says you have to do something differently. That can be a bit scary. So, so I think the key is understanding where people are as human beings on this discomfort scale and helping them through that. You know, it can be people can be really uncomfortable. If I ask you, Sam, can you go find me a bottle of water? You'd probably be pretty comfortable doing that. But if then I say, can you go fly a seven forty seven to London? You probably won't be very happy doing that. So, so there's this discomfort scale. I think it comes from Hersey Blanchard, uh, one of the models that that I've used quite a bit. But in the business world, you have to think about the fact that you're asking people to do new things all the time in an environment of change. So, So the idea is, as a leader, is adjusting your style to those of your stakeholders, those of your people. Now, in some cases, often you need to tell them what to do first and show them how to do it and work with them. As they become more comfortable, maybe you can get into sell mode. That's where you're going to say, uh, here are some ways you can do this. Which ones do you want to do? Then you can move to a more participative style. So we want you to do this analysis and come back and discuss it with me. Then in the last style, you delegate because you know what you're doing. I would guess most pilots now are in delegate mode. <laughs> they know what they're doing. But but the same thing can happen in organizational change too. Uh, m- most organizations in big change go through what's called the valley of despair. You know, you 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 undergo a change, you You can push a button and everything gets better right away. That rarely happens. Usually things get worse for a while. And and there are a whole lot of reasons for that. So, as as a leader, you ask yourself, what can I do to lessen the depth or the duration of the value of despair? And there are a lot of things one can do there, including training your people, mostly engaging people. It it really doesn't work terribly well when there's an announcement from the top here's everything we're doing. without engaging people uh, in how it's going to work and what it's going to mean to them personally. So so that's that's one of the keys in terms of how you approach uh, change in an organization. Not another another key as a leader is to remember that people are all, always watching what you're doing in an organization. Uh, what you do says a whole lot more than what you say you're going to do and change. We had, um, I think it was, I won't mention the company I was in, but we, we were putting in, Uh, formalized project management methodology, which hadn't been in the company for a while. And uh, the leader was espousing how this is important. Everyone has to do this. Yet on his most important project, he didn't use it, never talked about it in the staff meeting. So it didn't sink in too too well uh, in terms of people's engagement and involvement in doing it. Uh, another thing you can do in change, there, there are some tried and true models. There's one I have followed for years. It's an it's a OLE by a fellow named Cotter, Cotter's 8-step process. And so I encourage people, if you're not familiar with some of these models, to take a look at them. They're not cookbooks. You, you can't have a cookbook for change in an organization. But they're 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 usually overlapping. They're never sequential. But if you look at some of the models like Cotter's and Hersey-Blanchard and some of these, you'll realize that the key is always getting people involved Getting them beyond the intellectualization of change to say, "What does this mean to me? Why would I want to do this? What do I have to learn differently? Do I want to do this?" and and follow their paths, much as I followed my own personal path and you did you did
1: yours. So so that's that's one of the issues is that there are some ways you can address this proactively. It's the old uh, "What's in it for me?" and uh, and and how does that hold to the whole equation? And I assume that holds true for. Uh, organizational change, too. Uh, it's not just a personal one. Uh, organizations will go through these same transitions, right, Ken? Is hey, that, is oh, that? exactly right. If
2: if you're um, wanting to create a new business model, or as Alberthal did back with EDS, you have to ask yourself, what's our aspiration? What's our vision? What do we have emotional connection with? You don't want to go through all this change for some academic reason, and this may sound shocking, but it's not just to earn more money, although oh, it's nice to earn more money, but most people want to do it They, they want to, because they want to have some emotional connection and feel value in what they do. I, I would never get up in the morning and go, wow, I'm going to go win one for the stocks, the stakeholders today. I'm going to go earn more <laughs> money for, for Disney. You, you want to go into work at Disney because you want to create happiness for people. There's some
1: value in doing that from an emotional standpoint. So it's true of companies as well as individuals. Yes. And I assume you have to say more than improve productivity, reduce costs, value your employees and value your, your stakeholders. I call those platitudes. And unfortunately, I think that's what we see. And part of the soft skills is translating that into, once again, what's in it for me. Those statements, uh, as you probably say, are, are for stockholders or stakeholders. They're not directional. They're feel good. And I think we're tired of feel good without any action.
2: Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. And that's why in change, you need to get individuals involved, people involved, and connect with the emotional side, not just the logical side. <clears throat> in uh, EDS, when we were doing the transformation program, uh, we put in front of them the uh, mission statement of one of the big competitors. And it was one of those, like you mentioned, we will provide value to the stockholders. <laughs> we'll return X. We'll take care of our people, blah, blah, blah and some of the EDS executives said why did you put up our mission <laughs> you didn't it's your competitor they're all the same so so we advocated uh, something with emotional content i mentioned disney mm-hmm. they, at the parks they talk about creating happiness for people that's that's a valuable thing to do uh, one of my favorite examples was uh, nasa the space agency back in the 60s they said we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade mm-hmm. Everyone, no matter what your role, could make a connection with that. I'm part of making something exciting like that happen. So that's where it gets to the individual level. And that's why, as I said earlier, I think I'm more intrigued with the notion of personal change and soft skills for individuals, not just this intangible thing called the organization, because the organization is made of people. Mm -hmm. So that's probably how
1: I got into soft skills as well. Well, it seems like uh, it's it's moving away from platitudinal statements to actionable driven direction it's the old phrase we're going to take that hill we're not going to sit here and play around we're going to take that hill by this particular date you mean you have to do something with the plan no we just have to write it and put it (laughs) on the shelf
2: yes (laughs) exactly my point of why the emotional connection is so important if you have that emotional personal connection the likelihood of change is so much greater than intellectualizing it So I just realized, Sam, that um, I've been talking about soft skills. Maybe I should define
1: that, too. You know, I think the audience would be interested in what that phrase is and and, uh, how they can take that back with them. Yes. Okay. Well, soft skills, it's really associated
2: with a, a set of behaviors and traits that relate to an individual's ability to interact with other people, such as communications, how to ask good questions, how to listen
1: well. And we contrast that with... What, 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 listen, well. Excuse me. (laughs) There's always one. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that why you have two ears and one mouth, as the phrase goes? Well, there's probably a lesson there. Well, I'm a fan of Judge Judy, who I think
2: should be on the Supreme Court. And she always says, put on your listening ears. I always like that one. Now, hard skills are the ones needed to do tasks that describe capabilities to perform tasks, such as where I started my career: do statistical analysis or write programs. Or an example I always give is hitting out of sand traps. Now, in theory, you used to be able to practice that and keep doing that all the time and be successful at it. I it hasn't borne
1: out yet for me. Um, but you just can't read a book. You just can't read a book. <laughs> you, can't just read a book. you actually have to get out there and no. No, i just got to read a book and pass a multiple guess exam <laughs> come on ken you're not gonna make this too hard are you but but soft skills i think are a little bit harder to measure than hard skills Is that possibly one of the inhibitors that we're seeing
2: they, they really are you you can't put a number on on some of these things how, how good are you at listening That's seven <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no 7.5 because we're really we're talking here about the things the world inside people's minds and one of the problems with this this space too is that this domain can get marginalized when someone dismissively calls it touchy-feely stuff. You may have heard that phrase. Oh, I've yeah. encountered a number of leaders oh, in my yeah. mind who said, uh, can I like what you're doing, but I don't want the touchy-feely stuff. Don't run those team-building exercises where we have to you know tie each other together in a rope <laughs> and escape or anything. So one of the things you have to learn in this space is come to where they are, not have them come to where you are. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about the notion of changing people's thinking and behavior, I think most people can, can relate to that. But it, it is all about people. You know, I've often said this work would be easy if it weren't for people, Sam. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So so you are entering the space of, uh, of human beings. And, um, you know, Sam, you've, you've worked with uh, architects quite a bit. Uh, what can can you say or do you have any thoughts about the world of architects vis-a-vis soft skills
1: as an example? It's it's the the word architect has been, uh, and the profession has been around for, for quite some time. And if we look at the physical architect for building, for example, a building or building a house, there's a tremendous amount of technical skills required, but they have to get their point across to the customer who is the buyer of the house or the buyer of the building or something like that. When it comes to Enterprise architects or business architects or information architects or technology architects, most of the measurement is on whether or not the thing, the diagram is correct, whatever that means. And that I call architecture for architecture's sake. And what we need, and the phrase that we've been using for quite some time, is human consumable models. But underneath that can, of course, it needs a human being to allow people to consume that. They have to explain what that is, and that's the soft skill that, unfortunately, we see lacking in a lot of enterprise and business architects, and I think it's because it's not in the curriculum, frankly. No, no. You know, my degrees are in engineering, and I didn't take a human communication course. It wasn't even available. Um, they maybe that's the issue. They didn't teach me that at the University of Michigan, <laughs> so what I... Got to
2: General Motors. I had no idea how to speak to human beings. Now I'm sure the curricula have improved since then in companies in business, but it, it still is secondary to the hard skills training mm. of of doing some of these procedural things, or writing programs, or writing systems, or doing those sorts of things. So, so when an architect creates one of these big enterprise framework charts, you put it on the wall. That's not the end of the the journey. You actually have to do something with
1: it, right? Well, that's the beginning of the journey because people look at it and are generally overwhelmed because as you said, it's something new to them. So one of the jobs of the architect is to get them comfortable with what we refer to as explicit representations. And I'm going to use a a slightly off-colored phrase here. It's not nasty, but it's a little bit off-colored. And when it comes to these things, I use this following phrase. When you open the kimono, sometimes you don't like what you see because it's not buried in 70 pages of text. It becomes very, very, uh, um, uh, very, very exposed that's there. But coming back to the issue here, Ken, why aren't people picking up on this and going to, whether it's training courses or education courses or getting online and watching videos and things? What do you see there?
2: Well, I... I think a lot of it has to do with uh, self-awareness and fear. It, it's easy to say, I'm a great architect or I'm a great systems analyst or whatever that might be. But how many people are going to say, you know, I don't communicate very well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have many business relationships with executives because I can't talk their language. Uh, I think it's very difficult for people to say, I'm gonna go check myself in for, for uh, self-help in, in how to speak. Yeah. Because most people have a difficulty doing that. And, and think how important communications is in all these roles, right? So if you're going to create an architecture model or whatever that might be, you have to interview people, for example. Mm-hmm. And I think we don't offer a lot of training on how to do that terribly well. So
1: the, the whole issue of communications hasn't become first and foremost in, in our training curricula. I don't know if you'd coined this phrase or not, but I loved it. You said uh, when you give these courses... Uh, most people have to be voluntold to appear. Uh, I love that phrase, and and it's because I think we're sort of uncomfortable, you know, with that. I, I think you're right. We often uh, an astute leader
2: might say, you know, my staff, not not me, probably, but my staff <laughs> needs, needs to improve, this. So I'm going to voluntold them. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to volunteer them to attend this class. That's what happens a lot in this, this space. So uh, I, I think when we talk talk about soft skills. I try to categorize them for simplicity's sake into a couple major groups. One is communications, another is consultancy skills. And I think we've talked a little about communications. Again, it's not always a natural thing. And in the world, Sam that we deal with of technology, we have our own language even. You have the the Tower of Babel, essentially.
1: And we talk a different language than the people who we support. Thanks, Ken. Very, very insightful and uh, we're going to just in a few minutes take another break here and when we come back from our break uh, we're going to be talking about uh, creating an environment for change how can we how can you essentially take this and and build a change environment and some of the soft skills uh, that may be there uh, to allow effective change in your organization uh, that's there so this is Sam Holtzman Uh, you're listening to the 2020s Enterprise and my special guest today is Ken Nagus, and we're talking about soft skills and change. We'll see you back here in about two minutes.
0: Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, The Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work, and this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit pinnaclebusinessgroup.com. You are listening to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holtzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email. To Sam at E-A-C-O-E That's Sam at E-A-C-O-E Now, back to the 2020s Enterprise.
1: Welcome back. This is uh, the 2020s Enterprise with me, Sam Holtzman, your host. Uh, today, I have a special guest, Ken Nagus. And this is our third and final segment on the concepts of soft skills and change in the world of enterprises, business, and personal change. And uh, prior to the last break, we were, we were chatting about a number of different concepts uh, w- uh, that are involved in change. And uh, Ken, uh, let's continue on that dialogue if we can. Thanks, Sam. I was beginning to talk
2: about what I categorize as uh, communication skills, a key set of skills uh, needed for almost anyone in business or in life for that matter. And certainly in business, you, you can not operate in a vacuum no matter what you're doing. Maybe that's what I wanted to do when I was first hired in GM. I wouldn't go sit in the corner and send, send programs to the, the customers or users, as I used to call them. But it, it doesn't work that way. So what, what I advocate is some actual training in communication skills, including how do you ask better questions? How do you listen better? How can you know the difference between a fact versus an opinion? And the good news in this space is that you can actually practice these things. You know, I mentioned that the hard skills, we, we know how to practice hard skills, how to write a program or how to swing a golf club. But whoever thought you could actually practice soft skills, but you can. And the key to that is having a few tools, some simple to use tools and getting yourself and others in a safe space because it is uncomfortable. We don't like to admit these things or expose ourselves if we feel weak in these areas. So communication skills become really critical uh, to me. One of the, the biggest areas there is what I call in. in Inquiry versus advocacy. You know, we're trained, I think, to give answers. It starts back in school when we have tests and we have to give an answer to a test. And that continues in business. So so think about some business meeting you've been in. Maybe it was a problem-solving meeting where after some discussion, Sam states a solution and everybody comes together. You're likely to hear that Sam was the hero of this meeting, right? He came up with the solution. But did anyone say, you know, Sam... Sam was great in that, but, but Janice asked such good, good probing questions and spurred dialogue and synergy that eventually led to Sam's solution. So, Janice is the hero of this meeting. You don't hear that. So, so, I think part of the key here is listening to those sorts of things and being careful about the type of questions you ask and how much you're advocating versus listening. So, that's communication skills. It's a big, broad area of things that you can actually practice.
1: Huge, huge issue.
2: Well said. Now, the, the second category of soft skills in my book are what I call consultancy skills. Now, when you think of a consultant, something comes to mind. <laughs> yes, so it I'm does. going to tell you a little <laughs> story here. I hope we have time for this. So once upon a time, there was a shepherd. He was looking after his sheep on the edge of a deserted road. Suddenly, this brand new Ferrari, you know, screeches to a halt. And the driver is this young man dressed in a thousand dollar suit, fancy shoes and all that. And and he he gets out and he asks the shepherd, if I guess how many sheep you have, will you give me one of them? So the shepherd looks at this young man, looks at the sheep, which he are grazing in the field, says, "Okay." So the young man parks his car, connects his tablet to his mobile phone, enters a NASA site accesses the accesses the the site he, he scans his his site he uses all these algorithms prints out a 150 page report on his high-tech printer then he turns to the shepherd and says okay you've got 1586 sheep here shepherd answers he says you know that's right so you can have your sheep so the young man takes his selection puts it in the back of his car the shepherd now looks at him and asks if i guess your profession will you return that animal to me young man says sure why not Shepard says, you were a consultant. How did you know that? That's the young man. Very simple answers the shepherd. First, you came here without being called. Second, you charged me a sheep to tell me something I already knew. And third, you don't understand my business at all because you just took my dog.
1: <laughs> now. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, Our wait audience wait. may consist of a few consultants, and I are one too, by the way. So, so, so that's a stereotype. Okay. And that's of what we course. think of consultants,
2: right? They come in. They interview us, we tell them what we, we already know, they play it back to our executives and they get paid more than we do. And we're sitting there saying, that's what I've been saying, why didn't they listen to me? Well, the key is, there's a couple of keys in that. One is that good consultants become trusted advisors. And you, you're a good consultant, Sam, become the trusted advisor where executives will go to you for advice. So the question is, what do they do well? What do good consultants do well that we could be a trusted advisor? The second question is that if they're not listening to you, how can you improve your skills, your soft skills so they will listen to you? So I'm here to tell you that good consultants do things like systems thinking, understanding the business, decision-making, governance, problem-solving, scoping and framing complex issues, surface orientation, treating people like customers, not like users. And once again, these are things that can be taught, can be practiced in a safe space. So part of what I try to do in, in my workshops and class is provide those tools and teach people and let them practice how to do that. So that's, what could, that's why consultancy is so important to think of yourself, because who wouldn't want to be a trusted advisor?
1: So if I have good technology skills, I can, quote, become a consultant, unquote. In other words, I can build a communications language, or I can take that tremendous knowledge and actually affect change. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? That sounds very plausible. Wow. But it it, takes work. It takes practice, like playing the
2: violin. You don't become a master overnight at playing the violin. So these are things where you do have to practice and have colleagues to help you and and a safe space to do it. Is not taking a pill, it's not
1: taking a consultancy, pill. <laughs> and it's not it, it's not passing a multiple guess exam. You have to actually practice this. You actually actually have to do it. So a little story about one of my favorite artists, uh, Mick Jagger. Uh, yes, I'm a rock and roll fan. I, I'm a closet drummer from way back when. And if any of you have seen Mick Jagger on stage, you think that his actions up there for hours are random. And if you look at any of the documentaries done about the Rolling Stones, he practices those crazy moves. It's all choreographed. Practice, 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 practice. And that's why he makes it look so effortless. And I think that's what you're suggesting, Ken, to our audience, is that you have to practice the soft skills as much as you do the hard skills. Absolutely right. I harkened back to my career that I went through earlier.
2: I had no clue how to even give a presentation probably when I first started, but those are things you practice over time, and it takes a while. Mm-hmm. And, and the good news is that there are a lot of little things you can you can do in this space. There are small things. It doesn't all have to be big all at once. In the space of um, customer service and how to treat people like a customer, go back to my Disney experience. They had a culture that taught people to try to exceed expectations by doing a lot of little things. So when you go into a hotel, like Disney, and you're bringing your kids in, the housekeeper, maybe the task is to clean the room, but the broader purpose is to create happiness. So they may have taken a towel and put it in the shape of an animal. I've seen thing, that, yeah. And the kids go in and their eyes like So it's a little thing. Mm-hmm. But you do enough of those little things and you get loyal customers and they'll come back. And you'll make more money,
1: by the way. But I assume it takes... The the, uh, the enterprise, so to speak, to spend a few dollars in training those housekeepers to go that extra mile and re- reinforce that. It's not only just the training, but reinforce uh, by saying, you know, look, look at the smile that you had on that individual's face. Is that, is that what you're saying? Absolutely right. They spend a lot of money in training, a lot of money in getting customer feedback, by the way, which they
2: then cycle back into their continuous improvement. But also they create a culture. So that the employees want to do that. That may be the most important thing for what we talked about earlier, getting people engaged in an emotional connection. If The employees want to do that.
1: Isn't that so much better? Yeah. So it, that's comes, it comes as a natural thing rather than an exception, you know, that's there. Sounds fantastic. Sounds fantastic. Well, that's probably why Disney keeps growing as they're growing. Um it just seems to be an endless type of situation where people flock down to Orlando or to uh, 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 Los Angeles area, Anaheim or overseas. Uh, it's a massively, tremendously successful company. And it seems like one of the themes is really understanding the customer and communicating.
2: Absolutely right.
1: Those are customers. They they call them
2: guests, actually, uh, to draw an analogy to the world of entertainment. They talk about their their guests very frequently in their conversations. It's permeates everything Mm -hmm. they do and there's no reason not to do that within a business too you can think of the other people in your company as
1: your customers as your guests Mm -hmm. what do you think some of the stumbling blocks are uh, to essentially people getting these skills do you see any from your experiences out there what's inhibiting somebody from standing up and saying yep i need this what did you what have you seen so far and how would you suggest our audience possibly address this
2: Well, I I think it's, uh, back to our earlier conversation, a lot of it has to do with, with fear, the fact that I perceive myself with some value, and if I'm not good at something else, maybe that perception will be different, or maybe I won't be able to learn how to do that because it's difficult. So I think the key thing is to have people say, have some humility, to say, maybe I don't know everything, I'm not capable of everything, I can learn new things. And I want to learn new things. And there is a reason for me to do that. And the other thing I think people can do, one of the big takeaways for me, is there are lots of little things you can do. I mentioned the little things in Disney. As individuals, there's some things your audience could do tomorrow, right? Go out and what I suggest is go to a meeting, just listen. Just don't say anything. Just listen and listen how many people are asking good questions or how many people are stating their opinions very broadly and how you... If you could advise them how you might wanna shift that balance to better inquiry and advocacy. Think how you might exceed expectations. If say you're in IT, what's, what's one little thing you could do for your customer that might, he might not expect, or she might not expect from you that would make them happy? So there are lots of small things you can do um, that you can just go try some of these areas and you can get some immediate feedback. Go talk to your colleagues, get one of your colleagues and do it as, as a pair. And and try to learn from observing, from listening, and trying things like that. Mm-hmm. But, but I think the biggest thing maybe is to, rec- to realize that you can have so much more impact in everyday conversations and meetings, and you can help create change. Maybe even be a trusted advisor if you have a bit of humility and recognize that you have some growth to do in your life and in your career. Mm-hmm. It also, by the way, helps in your in your personal life too, because you do
1: have to talk to human beings outside of the business, <laughs> including your spouse. How about a little bit of California Cabernet? Would that help in uh, the conversation also? <laughs> that can help uh, lower some inhibitions. I 18 suppose eighteen-year-old Macallan Scotch or something. I'm just joking with you a little bit here. Well, I, we have to watch for the human resource rules about <laughs> where you're doing that, Sam. So, but, um. so some of the some of the things that uh, you think. Uh, uh can can be done right away can uh can you sort of like summarize some of those things that you think the uh, people that are listening to us today can uh, can do let's say over the next uh, two three weeks or a month or two months or so to move toward this skill uh, uh engagement activity
2: yes first is. a Recognition first is to engage others, is to engage your colleagues. Don't sit there by yourself and dream about this. The more people involved in this thinking, the better. Why not have a conversation with your team or your colleagues about where are we today? Where could we be? Are we doing everything we could? Everyone can create change. You know, no one has a job that's there for the status quo. Even the person on a production line in General Motors is asked to say, How can I improve it? So say, do we? Are there things we could do better uh, as individuals and as a team and as a company? Uh, what's preventing us from getting there? You, you asked me a number of times. What are the roadblocks? Right. Ask that yourselves. Ask your <laughs> colleagues in the same space. What are our roadblocks? That are we putting some in front of us? Are some we have no control over? What are some of the things we could actually change to improve what we do? Then ask yourself that as an individual. What's keeping me from doing that? And if you can drop that. That barrier of fear and have a little humility. I think you can. You prob, Most people probably know why they're not doing some things they need to do, including dieting. Why? Why am I not losing weight? I probably know that, but you, you don't want to admit that. So I think a lot of it is just some self awareness and taking some time
1: to reflect on these issues. Um, any Any practice people should be doing. In other words, is it okay to uh, close the door and and uh, talk to yourself and, and and not be too embarrassed? Oh, absolutely! If you're giving a presentation,
2: for example, there's a simple, that's a soft skill, presentation skills. If people don't practice that in front of the mirror or in front of another person that you're comfortable with, hmm. what's your reaction to this? How is how are you hearing this? Did I say it right? Could we change it? Even things like that can be practiced all the time. Yeah. You can, if you you're going into a key meeting with some and you think it's going to be some difficulty, anticipate what those challenges. What might that person say? You probably know what that person's going to say and how, how might you react. You can practice that work on that thing.
1: We've heard, uh, of course, uh, Mr. Steve jobs is no longer with us, but we heard that's one of his things that he spent just hours and hours or days and days and days practicing his presentation over and over again, almost. So it became almost secondary as, as he, if I can use the phrase, using the slides as a crutch of context versus reading each one of these. And, uh, I think it also has to do with, with style, right? Uh, and that's partially through
2: experience and practice? It does have to do with style. One of the things we talk about in our class is, is storytelling. And to the point you just made, a few people want to get bombarded with Excel spreadsheets and PowerPoints, but if you tell them a story, then you might engage them more on that emotional side. And again, that's something you can practice. Mm-hmm.
1: So there's a number of skills you're talking about here. What would be the one takeaway for our audience, with all the experience that you have and all the teaching that you've done, what do you think the the number one uh, added talent to those, especially with technology skills have uh, should work on first? You know there's a, probably a ton of things as we chat about in this past hour. What would be the one thing you think is just on top of the list, so to speak?
2: I think the one thing on top of the list is, is self-awareness of why do I think and behave the way I do? Um, we're going to talk in the class a lot about mental models, these deeply held beliefs we all have. What do I believe and why? And what's preventing me from learning new things? So if there's one thing, what do I believe and what should I learn and why am I not learning and what can I do to get there?
1: Ken, thank you very much. Uh, This has been uh, quite an eye-opener for me, and and Ken and I have known each other for quite some time. And uh, one commercial aspect here, Ken does offer a course that we sponsor uh, a number of times a year on soft skills, and and possibly we'll be able to see some of you there. And with that, we'd like to close out this episode of the 2020s Enterprise with myself, Sam Holzman, and my special guest, Ken Nagus. Thank you for listening, and uh, we hope to see you next time. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to the 2020s Enterprise. Be sure to join your host, Sam Holtzman, again for another edition of our program. Next Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more topics of discussion then.